0: Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dental Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Arias. And in this episode, I am speaking with Gary Bird.
1: There's three people in business that you need, three personalities that you need. You need the make it up. That's what I'm really good at. I'm really good at going, look at all these things out here that we could start. But then you need a make it real person. I'm okay at that. I can take nothing and turn it into something. But then you need you need that person that makes it recurring. And that's the part that I hate. I dread that part. <laughs> And for a long time, I didn't have, I didn't know that, right? I didn't understand that about myself. So now when I do a project, Michael, I go, okay, I'm going to make this thing up. Who's my going to make a real person? And then who are we going to use to make this recurring? Because otherwise it's just going to be wasted energy, wasted time. That's what I would, what I would ask my younger self, if I was like examining myself and saying, okay, Gary, why aren't you following through the way that you're supposed to? I would ask, what do you like doing, Gary? Do you like to make it up? Do you like the... Make it real, or do you like the make it real curry?
0: And we had a great conversation. He is the founder and CEO of SMC National. You probably heard him on the Dental Marketing Theory podcast. He's a really, really great guy, diving into a lot of amazing things in the dental industry. But we talk about his past, his present a little bit, what shaped him to how he is now. I mean, he got bored of jobs really fast, and he decided to turn that around, right? And so we discuss about the type of person he is. And something I like that he mentions is you're going to need to know if you are a make-it-up person, a make-it-real person, or reoccurring person. And he lets us know how we can test this, how we need to be self-aware, because if not, we'll be bottlenecking ourselves. You can't be a leader and a CEO and a manager and all these things and the employee. You can't, you can't be at all. So he talks to us about that and we dive much, much deeper into that. And we also dive deeper in acquiring a new patient and the new patient journey. And he lets us know how a lot of the times we're doing wrong math when it comes to the cost per acquisition. So what's the right math? This is what he breaks down for us and he lets us know. He does it in such a sophisticated, great way. I, I, I love it. And we also discuss how we can continue to improve that. I know a lot of the times it feels like we're bleeding new patients, right? Like we're, our, our back door is open and we're like, man, I, I feel like I can't retain these patients. He lets us know exactly why that's happening. So if you feel like that, if you're like, man, I need new patients this month, next month, next month, and it's been like five years and you're like, I still need a bunch of new patients and nothing's changed. I'm still trying to get new patients. Eventually something's wrong. Something's broken, right? So he lets us know the holes that we need to plug and all these other things. So it's really, really fantastic. And then we discuss office culture, team culture, right? Having a great, amazing culture in your practice. Listen to how he runs his agency, how he does an ENPS score and all these other things, but how you can utilize a lot of this and what he sees with practices that he works with. Uh, One thing I like that he mentions is bad culture scares away good players. So guys, you really want to create an amazing culture in your practice. So we dive into this a lot more and we also talk a little bit more about his personal life too and how he's um, elevating himself and and freeing up more of his time, which I know a lot of us want to do. So, guys, without further delay, here is Gary Bird.
1: Gary, how's it going, man? Good, good. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk with you today, Michael.
0: No, man, I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. If you don't mind me asking, where are you located?
1: I am in Southern California, right? Not far from L.A., Disneyland, that area.
0: Okay, You go to Disneyland a lot? I do not, No. I know. I hear like the prices and everything's going up huh, for that.
1: It's expensive. It's it takes forever. You you wait in line. It's mainly just waiting in lines and things like that. So not, yeah. not, not the most joyous place on earth.
0: Ah, OK. Have you always lived here in Southern California?
1: Uh, no, I lived in Northern California for a while, um, but uh, I've lived down here for the last many years. So
0: when you started your. Oh, let's talk about that first. Foremost. Let's get into your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today? So, How did we
1: get into the marketing industry? Yeah. Or how did you get into this? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I love this story. So, 2008 um, had a good job. Was making probably about seventy-five thousand dollars a year at the time. I was a young kid. I was had a had a gas card. Had a had a job. How old was I? I was about 24, 23, 24 years old. And I, I pretty much every year I just jump jobs. I'd get bored, jump jobs. And I thought it was me. I thought I was just like, man, this is just you know, I'm not I'm not able to figure this out, or I just get bored too easy. What's wrong with me? And then one day somebody came to me and said, hey, I, I got this company. They have a piece of software that you can send emails with and you can build a whole business around email marketing. And do you wanna quit your job and come do this with me? And the software is 500 bucks a month. And then whatever else you make, you keep. And I was like, yeah, I'm down, let's do it. And so I quit my job and uh, just went out, started doing that. And then the whole economy crashed. Uh, mm-hmm. So 2008, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, There was yeah. a massive correction. The whole housing market fell apart. Houses were going up, 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 up. And I mean, there's like totally, people were losing houses left and right. Businesses were shutting down left and right, like restaurants. And it was crazy. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Even, Even since, probably COVID was a little bit more extreme than that. But it was very, very scary at the time. So I'm like, man, I picked, really picked a good time to start a business. That's what I'm thinking. And that actually created an opportunity. So at the time, no one was able, as a business owner, you weren't able to communicate with your customers, unless you were mailing them. You had to send them a, a postcard to communicate with your customers. There was no text messaging. Social media was like brand new. Businesses weren't using it yet. And there was an emails were just coming out for businesses to use as a marketing tool. It wasn't really a thing yet. And so I started to go to these restaurants that were paying five, four $5,000 a month for uh, Yellow Pages. And I was like, hey, Yellow Pages doesn't work anymore. People use Google now. And so this was this is like when everybody had yellow pages, and I said, "So give me half of your yellow page money, keep the other half, and I'll make your slowest day your busiest day." People were like, "Okay, we'll give that a try." That we were thinking about canceling anyways, and so we'd come over and I, I would build campaigns, and it, I mean it was so simple. I'd say, "Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you these these email pads. You're going to collect emails, and I'm going to enter them for you, and then I'm going to send you give me your slowest day, and I'm going to send out promotions for your slowest day." And it worked every time because these people already like their food, right? And so it was so such a simple, simple tool. And it was so impactful. Well, through doing that, I started to add other services. So I learned how to do SEO, how to do websites, social media. Eventually, we built an agency and uh, we started working with a dentist. And the dentist was able to go from about $90,000, dollars $90,000 a month to about $400,000 a month. I still work with them. He was our first dental client. He started to do really well. He referred us to other dentists. We got you know more clients that way. And then eventually, about five years ago, we said, hey, we're gonna just focus on dental. And then we niched down into dental. Um, over the last two years, so right after COVID, we've actually made the Inc. Uh, 5000 list, two times fastest growing companies. I think we'll make it one more time. Just, it gets to a certain point where you can't make the list anymore because it's, it's hard to triple and quadruple, you know, mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So I think we'll make it one more time this next year. And uh, super proud of that. And then what I'm really most proud about is we have an amazing culture. So we have great people on our team, uh, a really high ENPS score. And right now we have about 100 team members. And I love coming to work every day. I love the people that I work with. I love what I get to do every day. And I just want to keep doing that. And uh, I'm really excited about the future of what we're going to be able to do for dental clients. And right now we're basically... Our future is we're building out SaaS products that help marketing around dental, CRMs and dashboards to actually be able to measure the results of marketing. And we're also providing predictable patient flow for groups because it gets really tricky when you're working with five, 10 offices and you want to create consistent patient flow. It, it can get really, really hard. So that's, that's something that we specialize in.
0: Nice, man. A lot. You did a lot. You know, I appreciate you thinking I'm young enough that I don't remember 2008, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> do, you,
1: do you remember it? Oh
0: yeah, I lived it, man. It was okay. It was uh you know what I mean? You think it's bad and then COVID, you're right. Exactly what you said was perfect. Yeah, what, what you said was right. But I noticed you said you said you got bored of your jobs fast.
1: Where did that come from?
0: Why? Do you feel like you weren't scratching creative?
1: Or what? I think I think um, I think a unique skill set that entrepreneurs have that serve them very well in the business world is uh, not great as a W two employee. I'm not sure if it's the entrepreneur side of me or the ADHD. I get bored super quick with things. So once I mentally figure something out and I go, "Cool, I know how to do this now." I've done it either successfully or semi-successfully. I lose all interest in it. I don't want to do it anymore. And so I can hop department to department, thing to thing fairly easy. That's horrible if you're a W2 employee. If you start a business, it's actually a great skill set because you kind of have to do that. Mm-hmm. And then and then it kind of hurts you again in business because you kind of have to step away from the business a little bit. And now I can start podcasts. And I launched our podcast last year. Uh, this year was our first year having it up. Now we have four. We're doing an in-person boot, boot camp for dental marketing managers. We're doing like things like that. I can just jump thing to thing to thing. And it actually provides value where being an employee, it just looks like I'm, you know, a bum and jumping job to job to job. Yeah.
0: You have a lot of execution, man, in you, I feel like you, you think of something and you do it, which is a a lot of people lack that, right? So where do you feel, where was that muscle strengthened or how can we strengthen that?
1: Man, that is such a good question. I've never, I've never really like broke it down and thought about it this way. I think for me is that I'm I'm a routine person, Mm -hmm. but I like jumping thing to thing. So what I, I used to think that what would make me happy is like, if I could just do sales all day, that would make me happy. Or if I could just be an account manager all day, or if I could just do emails and not have meetings all day. But none of those things really made me happy because it was just the recurring nature of it. So what, what I found that made me happy is that I always want to be growing. That's our company wise, always growing. I just have to be growing. I have to be um, expanding on things. So for me, I love starting at the ground. I'm going to grow. Like there's going to be growth involved with it. I'll even see people sometimes. I run I run a a mastermind for agency owners. It's it's free. It's something that I do just to try to help other agency owners because I get questions like how how should we build this? How should we do that? And even I find myself someone will have like $20,000 a month in in revenue and you know we're we're a thousand times bigger than that. But I find myself going, "Oh man, that's so exciting." Like I get literally not envious, but almost like man, I want to come and like work with you. You know what I mean? Because they are they just experience 400% growth. You know what I mean? And it's just like, man, I know there's, there's things to solve and things to work through. So I get so excited about that. Kind of the framework that I learned is this. To answer your question directly, there's three people in business that you need, three personalities that you need. You need the make it up. That's what I'm really good at. I'm really good at going, look at all these things out here that we could start. But then you need a make it real person. I'm okay at that. I can take nothing and turn it into something. But then you need, you need that person that makes it recurring. And that's the part that I hate. I dread that part. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I didn't, have, I didn't know that, right? I didn't understand that about myself. So now when I do a project, Michael, I go, okay, I'm going to make this thing up. Who's my going to make a real person? And then who are we going to use to make this recurring? Because otherwise, it's just going to be wasted energy, wasted time. That's what I would, what I would ask my younger self if I was like examining myself and saying, okay, Gary, why aren't you following through the way that you're supposed to? I would ask, what do you like doing, Gary? Do you like to make it up? Do you like to make it real? Or do you like to make it recurring? And then I would would ask that same, once they figure out, okay, this is what I wanna do, then I'm gonna say, okay, who's gonna help you with the other ones that you don't like doing? That helps me so much with execution because it's really the team that I have around me that are helping me. So self-awareness and getting the right people around you to help you through that framework. So you're the make it up person, right?
0: But the make it real person, recurring person, how do you find that? Like what traits do you look for? Cause I feel like if, for example, if it's a practice owner and they want to hire someone, it's a paycheck. And I'm like, yeah, I can be the make it real or I can be the make it recurring
1: person. Like that, that's me. Are they? It depends. So there's a couple of different ways that you can you can test for this. So and this happens a lot in dental. Okay. So I'm taking this down to the dental office level, hygienist. A lot of times we'll come in and they'll be like, yeah, I want to be a hygienist. And they're a great hygienist, but really ambitious hygienists. You'll notice they don't stay in hygiene and they actually end up leaving the offices because there's only so high you can go in the dental office as a hygienist. And so it's kind of like, okay, I already learned that thing. Now I'm going to elevate and I'm going to be a consultant or I'm going to be, you know, something else, right? And that happens all the time because they're not the recurring person. And so in dental, how what you have to identify is First of all, you got to using the Kobe is huge. So if you have somebody who's like a quick start, a high quick start in the Kobe, it's a green, the green one, good luck tying them down, right? Like you have to know, like, we're probably not going to keep this person. The other thing is, I just really believe that people should do what they're passionate about. And if that means you're going to have somebody there for a little bit of time and then they're going to go and do other great things, that's okay too. But that gets really hard to run a business that way, especially a dental office because it's so isolated. So, Outside of like taking assessments and just asking them and examining, it's really hard because people want to work from home. People want remote jobs right now. People want different things. I was actually just on a podcast with Cena. He's uh with Zentist and he's really smart, like super smart business guy. And his answer to fix the, the hygiene shortage was males need to start being hygienists. So before it used to be all male dentists, now it's like there's more female dentists than male dentists coming out of school right now. He said, well, the same thing needs to happen in hygiene, but the opposite. We need to start making it normal for men to be hygienists. And so, but it's, it's been running a dental practice is super hard because of that. I, I don't, I don't claim to have the answers.
0: Okay. That's good though. Taking the Colby, right? Like you said, making sure you recognize who this person is. Do you recommend we do that before we hire them? Well, hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. So make, let them do that part of the interview process or...
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pay for the Kobe. It's like 50 bucks, but it's totally worth it. Yeah. We always, we always run everybody through a Kobe and you can take lessons and classes of what the Kobe actually means and figure out what kind of person they are. I do know for like project managers, there's two kinds of project managers that you want. So you want a high blue and a high red, but then if you want a recurring project manager, so like somebody who's going to do the project over and over again, you want them to be lower in the green. And then if you want them, if you want somebody who's going to move project to project to project with you, you want them to be more high green. And that's something that's really helped me is knowing the difference between those kinds of project managers. But I don't know if that's applicable for, for um, dental hygienists.
0: Yeah. It, it, I would assume like it depends on the, the position, right? Or like and yeah. things like that. Now, you also mentioned when you were doing the software with email marketing, you went to places, restaurants, right? And you said, hey, I can make your slowest day, your busiest day You speak with such certainty, man. Where does that come from, first of all? And then it's kind of like, how can we adopt that?
1: Well, it was just common sense, right? So it was like, okay, so you go, again, remember where we're at at this time. No email marketing yet, like no text messaging to your customers and no social media to reach your customers. So you, that means if you went to lunch somewhere on a Wednesday or on a Saturday, let's say, you went to a lunch on Saturday. You wouldn't hear from that business again unless they sent the postcard to your house, which are really expensive. So mm-hmm. you're not hearing from them. So now when I come in, what's your busiest day? And it's like, okay, my busiest day is Saturday. Okay, great. Let's collect all your Saturday emails. And then we're going to send out a buy one, get one free for Wednesday. And then the business owners would be like, well, do I really want to give away half of my, half of my uh, you know, check there? And it's like, okay, well, what's your average check? Well, it's 25 bucks. Cool. We'll say buy one, get one free. Minimum check has to be 30 bucks though. So they're going to bring somebody with them and buy a little bit extra. So you're not losing any money. And, and now you don't have dead labor time because that was a big problem that everybody had during that time was you had to have employees to be open, but then literally no one would walk through your door on Monday at lunch. And so you couldn't, that's why a lot of businesses shut down. So what I would do is that I would run, run that email to them on that day. And then what I would do, is I would go to the the restaurant down the street and I would say, or the gym down the street, you know, I was working with different businesses and say, hey, I talked to the restaurant down the street. They're willing to do a cross promotion with you and get your customers in front of them and them. And you guys can write it at the same time. So it looks like it's one email and we'll we'll send it out and let's cross promote. So now we're both getting the advantage of each other's databases. It was very easy. Like All I did was get the people that already liked them to come back with some kind of call to action, and then get that back in front of people who didn't know them from another business nearby. And it was just like a win, 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 win. So I was able to like really help a lot of people really, really fast.
0: Man, that's good. So then where are we at now today where it's, we can utilize that, where it's similar, where we're like, hey, it's common sense, we should be doing this now yeah. because it's not adopted.
1: That's so simple something. in the dental space. It's simple to say, it's hard to execute. So in the dental space, you have to understand if you're going to grow. So I'm, I'm assuming right now we're talking to people who you have a dental practice and you want to grow it. And then you probably want to add more dental practices. Okay, so you want to scale. The rule of scaling is this. You have to know your numbers. You, have, you, I'm sure your audience has watched Shark Tank. They're into business. First thing they always ask them, what's your cost per acquisition? How much does it cost to get a patient through the door or how much is it to get a customer through your door and what I find in the dental industry is everybody gets this number wrong or the vast majority of people get this number wrong and the reason they get it wrong is because they're using faulty math so what they do is they go and they say okay I got the dental office I got 100 new patients a month and I spend $10,000 so that means my cost per acquisition is $100 wrong because not all 100 of those new patients came from marketing about half of those if you're a normal GP office is go, are going to come from like drive-bys and patient referrals and doctor referrals. Those are not marketing numbers. Those are purely operational or just being in there, you know, having your building in a certain place. And the reason this is so dangerous is if you, if you use that faulty math and you go, okay, we're going to open up a new office and I need a hundred more new patients. You're going to go, I only need to spend 10,000. No, you're probably going to be closer now to 20,000 or 25,000. And that's going to really hurt your bottom line when you're trying to get an office off the ground. So what we have figured out is how to get that predictable number. And then also the other tricky part that's hard to predict is what is your operational chokeholds going to be that make that number go up? And so what most people don't realize, the average unanswered... So we track all this stuff for all of our clients. Mm -hmm. And the average unanswered call rate right now in the dental industry is 35%. So I always ask people, do you know your unanswered call rate? And they're like, yeah, no, it's really, we're good, we're good. No, do you know what the actual number is? Yeah, no, no, we, we do really good. Oh, okay, you're at probably at 35%. That's the average. No, no, no way. It, not, not during business hours. That's, that stat is actually for business hours. Not, that doesn't count after hours. So if you're spending $10,000, you're losing $3,500 on the phone. Nothing, it has nothing to do with marketing. That's just your operational bandwidth. Then from there, the average person converts around 50% of their marketing leads on the phone. Well, you've just lost the vast majority of your marketing budget and you haven't even got them into the office yet. The other thing is right now, the average time to appointments over a week at dental offices. So now dentists don't think it is though, because here's what they do. They go look at their schedule and they go, oh, I got an opening tomorrow. Yeah, you have one opening tomorrow. And then two days later, you have one more opening. You don't have new patient blocks open for people to be able to pick four or five different spots on each day within the next 48 hours People are just going to the next, the next practice. So those things have nothing, literally nothing to do with marketing, but it has everything to do with your results. And that's, that's like the basic common sense of business that you have to couple with marketing to be able to get the results that you
0: want. Man, Gary, I can't tell you how many times we would work in the office in the practice lunchtime and we're like, we deserve a break. Let it go to voicemail. You know what I mean? And then, and. It was, it was ringing, you know what I mean? Like an hour and a half or two, or we wouldn't even know how many times could we go out for lunch? And man, that's insane. So for you, out of all that, what's the biggest headache for you when you're talking with a client and you're like, Hey, you're not getting it, man.
1: The biggest black hole. So the phones and the unanswered call rate, the phone conversion rate, and the getting patients to actually, um, how far out you're scheduling them. That's pretty clear because we can actually, we have a dashboard, we measure all that stuff, right? That's really, really clear. Where it gets really, really tricky is the recare rate of your marketing patients. So most offices, GP offices think that their recare rate, if you ask them, hey, what's your marketing recare rate? They're going to go, oh, it's around 90%. Okay, that's for your global, that's for all of your patients. What about for your marketing patients? And they're going to go, yeah, I'm sure it's the same and it's not. And what they don't realize is that these marketing patients that they're paying all this money for, are actually, they're low trust patients. They had to call back, you know, two times because you didn't answer the phone. When you did answer the phone, the person didn't know how to answer their questions. Then you schedule them a week out. They actually show up. So it's a miracle that they even made it in. But you're only, on average, you're only keeping about 30% of those people. So you'll hear the dentists say this a lot, where they go, I feel like we're just bleeding people out the back door. They actually are, but it's the marketing patients. So what happens is, is you get these offices that, they spend $5,000 a month. They get 50 new patients a month. They say their retention rate is 90%. Well, at those numbers, you should market for like a year. And then you shouldn't need any more new patients. Should Be done, right? Like <laughs> you already had a book of business. We just added six, 600 new patients on top of that. You had a little bit of attrition. You should be packed out, but you're not. And the reason that you're not is the section of those patients that are coming in are marketing patients. They're never coming back again and that's you just basically wasted your time, money and energy on trying to get those patients in. How can we fix that? So what you have to do is you have to track your marketing patients separately from your recare rate of those separately, which is really hard to do cuz most offices can't even identify which patients, which new patients are from marketing and which are from from other sources, but you have to track your marketing new patients as a standalone. But the best way to do that is through digital. Follow them all the way through the patient journey and then actually look at what their recare rate is. And then what you'll realize is, oh, we have a problem. And then all you have to do is slow down with the patient. So what I have found is if you just tell the hygienist and the doctors, slow down, spend a little bit more time with these patients, get them to either recare or accept some kind of treatment. It doesn't have to be a lot, it can be a little bit. And then you win because over time they come back and they buy treatment over and over and over again and they bring their friends and family in. So there's actually a compounding effect. You're not just losing one patient. You're losing all the referrals and all the future treatment and all those kind of things as well, but you can't see it. So the PM, the practice management softwares in dental, you can't see any of that stuff. There are no CRMs in dental um, mm-hmm. that help you manage this kind of stuff and see it all the way through. And so that's what, that's what we have figured out. And we're constantly building new softwares and, and different things to help support around that. And so, but that's only, that's the only way you can really fix that.
0: Does your agency kind of like help with this?
1: Yeah. So we take the patient all the way through the patient journey, all the way to getting them to come back. So we don't, we don't solve that for you. Like we're not going to tell you how to recare your patients, but we're going to give you at least the number so you can look at it. And then the coaching that you need to fix it to get those patients back. So that's, that's what we focus on. And what, what we have found is that getting new patient leads is what a marketing company's job is. But these dental offices have so many holes that you're just not going to be successful unless you can clearly see along the journey where things are breaking. Because you get that a lot, I'm sure, right? Where you're like,
0: we need more. We need more. Why Why isn't this happening? Why isn't this working? And at what point were you like, hey, man, I'm going to sit down with you and
1: figure this working. out? Yeah. So it was funny. So I had my first dental client that I had. They were just killing. I mean, they were absolutely killing. And I was like, oh, cool. And they were growing really, really fast. Like I said, over like a three, four year period, they went from one doctor, at 80, 90 thousand dollars a month to like four doctors, 400,000 plus a month, right? So they grew fast. So I was just like, okay, cool. I didn't even think that was that big of a deal. I just thought it was like normal This is just dental business, right? Well, then another dentist hired us and they didn't have the same results. And I was just a traditional marketer. I just looked at, well, let's look at average time on site. Let's look at traffic flow and and, and how many, what was our cost uh, per acquisition on the site? Like how much were people clicking and then and then calling or filling out the form right Mm -hmm. and and everything was the same or similar in the same ballpark i was like what how are they not having anywhere in the same we tested ct call to actions a price point all that kind of stuff and i couldn't figure it out and the doctor was like getting upset like gary we just don't have patients and i'm like it doesn't make any sense like these patients are disappearing somewhere Mm -hmm. and so i said i'm putting a tracking number on your site and he's like i don't care what you do and i was like okay so put a tracking number on the site. I personally went through and listened to all the calls. The front desk person was horrendous. Basically, they had the attitude that patients were a waste of their time and a lot of extra work. And so they were scaring away the new patients. And so I, I showed him, I said, this is not a marketing problem. This is a person problem. And, I, and he's like, well, can you coach him? Da, da, da. So I was like, sure. So we coached them, get them to understand. Now they know we're listening. So I thought, this is what I thought, Michael. There's being a naive business person. Also, all I have to do is coach people one time and give them the tools. And of course they're all gonna fix it. All my clients will be good. We won't ever have to worry about it again. Wrong. What I found was everybody always reverts back to sub 50% conversion rate on the phones, which makes marketing almost, if you're not answering 35% and then of the, the remaining budget that you have, half of them go unconverted and then and then you have a, you know a huge no show rate for putting people out you literally only end up with about 15 20% of your marketing budget making through your door so when you're like well my marketing doesn't work no it doesn't like it's impossible for your marketing to work it's literally impossible you you'll never be successful and so once i figured that out then it was like okay well i don't want to be in the phone answering game i don't want to be in the call monitoring game i don't want to be in the you know any of those kind of games so it was just like how do we develop a software that actually does this stuff for them so they can actually see it. And so we developed that. I thought that would take us a year, but because the practice uh, management softwares, they're hot garbage and really hard to work with, but it took us six years and so much money. So now we actually have a tool that we can use. And then now what we're, in the January we're actually launching it. We're changing the way it all lays out. It's going to be more about the patient journey, tied like tied in to their patient journey. Cause I think I think that's really the future, Michael, is that the future of dentistry for marketing people, especially internal marketing people and and operational people is all going to be focused on the patient journey. That's what really is broken inside of offices right now is like, like if you have a bunch of offices and they're all not answering the phone at 35%, who owns that? And it's like, well, the marketing person, but the marketing person doesn't answer the phones. Okay, well, it's the front desk. Well, the front desk is busy doing insurance claims and stuff. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. they're checking in patients and checking out patients. So who actually owns the patient journey? Who, who actually owns recare who actually owns? Like as you start to go through and you look at this, what you realize they're, they're handoffs inside a business. And when you have a handoff inside of the business, it's easy to have nobody own it and have a lot of bleeding through that area. That's what needs to be changed in dental is like, I believe that these marketing managers were actually doing a whole boot camp around this. I think marketing managers inside offices, if I wanted to keep my job, I wouldn't be the SEO person. I wouldn't be the website person. I would be the patient. I would own the patient journey. And I would start at the outside. So starting at the answering the phone. And I would just say, hey, here's who owns the phones. Bobby at the front desk. And here's their answer right. How do we get this up? How, and if we can support them and help them get it up so they're not doing as much insurance claims, but they're answering the phone more, that will bring this much more ROI to the practice. And if we can get our conversion rate up, then we can get this much more ROI. If we can schedule sooner, it'll lower our no-show rate. If we can, and then you just keep working into the office. Then from there, it's like, how long did they wait in the lobby? Did they wait 10 minutes for their appointment or did they wait an hour? And then when they come into hygiene, did they did they get a 45-minute cleaning or was it an hour and a half cleaning? And then when you handed it off to the doctor for some of the treatment, how was that handoff? And then did we get them re Did we get a Google review from them? That's all just part of the patient journey. And so I think that's the future of like marketing managers inside of offices. It's really owning that, understanding that, and then getting, getting clear, actionable KPIs that will actually drive results.
0: I like that, man. So accountability in these systems, right? Making sure people are like, hey, Bobby, you're answering the phones. You have dropped the ball so many times. Instead of being like, Well, I dropped it because I was doing insurance or like credentialing and you know, I had to wait for a claim and
1: check them out, whatever, right? Like they're accountable for that. Yep. Kind of thing. Yep. And how right. can we support you so you don't have to do that anymore, Bobby? Like yeah. how how can we how can we make sure because we're you're doing an insurance claim, which is great. We need that done, but you didn't answer ten phone calls. And of those ten phone calls, we think half of them were probably marketing leads. So we lost this much marketing budget for sure. And it's yeah. like Okay, so how can we, can we hire somebody else to do the insurance claims? Can we offshore the insurance claims? Can we use a software to help us with the insurance claim? Like there's all these options now, but, but somebody has to bring it to light. Like somebody has to actually know what the numbers are. And here's the biggest problem. I just did a, a coaching call with the DEO and had about 20, 30 offices on it. it said, hey, how many people here know what your unanswered call rate is? Two or three in there, mm-hmm. right? How many people here have somebody who owns the patient journey? No one. No one in in smaller offices, so 10 or less, no one owns the patient journey. And that's why right. things break. So that's, and, and it's the same thing in my business, right? Like we were, we're right now, right before this call, I had to get on, I got on a call with our president and we're looking at churn and we're looking at growth and we're looking at how do we actually fix this? And we're like, Hey, we need to work on our customer journey. How do we shorten the onboarding time? How do we, how do we make sure that we get back to leads faster? How do we make sure blah, 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 right? Like, all super important. But you have to have somebody who owns that. If you don't have somebody that owns it, then it's just going to break. Yeah, someone who owns it.
0: Interesting, man. Okay, so that's good. If there's a practice, like I'm sure you've worked with many, many startup practices, right? When there's a startup practice, you know, they're kind of like super lean. Yeah. Front office, one person maybe. Maybe it's like a person who does both, front office and dental assistant, right? And then they're kind of working. I'm assuming money balls are being dropped. Right at the same time, or everything's like not 100 percent. in that scenario, do you recommend a software, or what are you thinking?
1: So you're talking about like a de novo. like if we, you and I said, "Hey, we're going to start a practice from scratch right now and just open a brand new practice up, I would recommend not starting a practice if you're starting I moving. Mean, here's the biggest mistake that I, I would go acquire a practice instead of doing a de novo. So and here's why. Here's what I see happen all the time. So we're going to launch a de novo because we've opened up this practice and it was really successful you know, because uh, we bought it from so-and-so and, and you know, it had book a book of business. Now we want to do one from scratch. And I always to ask people like, do you know what your cost per acquisition is going to be at this office? And they're always like, nope, no clue. We just did this first one. And then I, and then I pull up the numbers so we can go look because we work with offices all over the country. So we can see what the average cost per acquisition is for that kind of area, for that kind of practice. And we're like, okay, well, then you're going to be looking at somewhere between 250 and three fifty. and 350 and And it's like, okay, yeah, that's, that's expensive because we need you know 100 patients month one to be able to open. So that means we're going to need $35,000 for marketing. And it's like, if that's how many new patients you need? Yeah. So then they go, well, then we just want to open two days a week. Well, if you open two days a week, it's going to be years before you're in the, in the black. So if you don't understand that basic business principles of what you need to invest into marketing, to be able to get off the ground to the number of new patients that you need, and so that, that way you're not in the red for two or three years, don't start a de novo buy a practice that already has a patient base now from the people i've seen do this successfully what they do is they come in and they get the money when they when they go to the bank they say hey we're going to need 100 new patients we're going to be open 4 days a week when we start we're going to need 35,000 or 25,000 or whatever to start when we open it for the first 6 months and then after that guess what starts kicking in patient referrals and then also recare starts kicking in and so then now you can start tailoring back that marketing budget, but yeah, I I wouldn't recommend starting a de novo opening. I like I wouldn't from a business if just as a business decision. I wouldn't open up a de novo, only open it two days a week, run on a super lean marketing budget. It's going to mess up your other practices and throw your your money making practices into the red as well. Drag that office into the red.
0: Yeah, yeah. a lot of stress too, right? Like upon that so on much. everything. You spoke about how you have an amazing culture now with your team. And I feel like in order to get to know it's amazing, that means like, okay, I've had a pretty crappy culture before. some horrible was,
1: culture. Yeah. Talk. What
0: happened there? What was
1: that? <laughs> okay. So when I first got started in business, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. So you don't know what you don't know when you start business, right? Mm-hmm. So there's three stages to business. I'll break it this way. The first stage is you have to become good at the thing. So for I'll use the dentist as an example. You first have to learn how to be a dentist. That's like the most important part, right? You have to be, you have to get good at it. Like you get to build up your confidence, get to believe you're good at it. Your peers look at you and go, "Man, you're really good at that. You're fast, good quality," and that's stage one, okay? Now some people don't ever leave that stage. Some people stay as associates or stay as employees, right? So then now next you have phase two. Phase two is entrepreneurship. Now you have to figure out, well, can I take my skill set and go create an arbitrage, and do be so good that People are going to pay me more than it costs me to do this service. And they're going to be happy to pay it because I'm doing such a good job for them. And that, that's a different skill set. And you have to kind of learn that. Now, intuitively, because dental is such a safe industry, they, it's, it's much easier to do that than any other industry. And what I mean by that is, is 90% of all businesses that are started, 90% plus, fail. So if you and I said, pick any business, doesn't matter, it's going to fail, 90% ch- chance of failure, right? Mm-hmm. Dentistry has a 10% chance of failure. So you're, you're going to probably make it just by being there, right? Yeah. You're going to be okay. Maybe not make as much money as you want, but you're going to be okay. So, so that part, that entrepreneurship part kind of comes along with being good at your skill. But then there's a third stage. And the third stage is a totally different skill set. It's called leadership. And being a full-time dentist and being a full-time CEO and being good at both of them is not possible. Neither is being a full-time marketer, a great dental marketer and learning how to do all this stuff and figuring out how to make money and then trying to be a CEO and actually lead people. You can't do it well. And then what what happened to me was, is like, oh, so this is a different thing. I always thought, Michael, that because I'm good at business or because I've been successful at business, then I'm a leader. Mm -hmm. I should just lead the company, right? It doesn't work that way. It's actually a totally separate thing. And so once I realized that I was the problem and not everybody else and that I was the bad, you know, the bottleneck and I was the bad one apple causing the problems, not everybody else. And it wasn't, I can't find good team members and I don't, you know, I don't have people who can do what I need them to do. And we hear all these these excuses, all these stories. What that is really, what that person's really saying and what I've said those things before is, I'm not the leader that I need to be for these people to be able to do the things that they need to do. I recently did a podcast with a young man who owns a marketing company. And he was like, I, I presented this to him. He's young. He's like 18, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, Gary, what if like I, I have a team member. I gave him a really simple task and I give it to him and then they fail at the task. And I'm like, are they like capable? Like are you know what I mean? Like are they yeah, like yeah. do they have mental the, the mental capacity to do the work?" He's like, "Yeah, I think so. I go I just told him I was like, "for your systems and the way that you're leading is so poor that you can't even get a simple task done. And he was just like, i never thought about it that way. Once I turned the tables and stopped pointing the finger at everybody else, and started looking at, okay, what can I do to actually help? What can I do to actually be the support rather than wanting to be supported all the time? What can I do to actually meet the needs of what the problems that they're facing rather than always asking them what they're doing for me? Once I turned that table around, then it started to fix. It didn't happen overnight. It took years. But um, now our company is in a much healthier place.
0: And, and that's when the culture started getting better or you feel yep. like I need to let you go I need a why do I have three leaders here you know how did that well, go here's the,
1: here's the great thing about good, good culture mm-hmm. Well, okay so bad culture let's pretend we work at a company you and I do and we're employees there and the culture's horrible right we hate it everybody else hates it we bad mouth everybody let's say an A player comes in to work there they, they get hired and they come in and day one we sit down with a mic and we're like this place is trash man this place is a joke how long is that A player gonna stay there to leave, right he's going to yeah. be like i can't get anything done here it's toxic so that bad culture scares away good players right but it keeps the toxic players but the opposite is true as well good culture keeps the good players and repels the toxic players so a culture all a culture is is a is it it's a mechanism it's a it's a it's a living thing think of it like a, a almost like our health you know what i mean our way our body repels sickness and and tries to make us stronger and better that, that's what culture is And in bad ones Attract bad and 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 good ones attract good, right? Once we started building out our culture, it was like it started to repel a lot of people. And so we did. We had churn. You can go onto our glass door. You can actually see where we had to churn. We'll have like we have really good glass door ratings. But you can yeah. go back and look. And I've just made it since then. That po- once I learned this, I learned that I can only do what I can do, and I have to follow what I believe in, and I'm going to um, be transparent about it. So what I started to do is post all of our bad glass door reviews, especially the ones that ripped me apart. <laughs> and so I would post those. I post them on social media every about once, every couple of months, you'll see me post one. Hey, here's what I learned from this. Here's what we're doing to fix it. And I really appreciate you. And you know, and in the, in the, there's, it's like you're a sociopath and you're a loser and I hate you and you ruin my life. Like I even have some of those and I'm just like, man, like I, I really don't want to be that. But I, I know Dennis, the reason I talk about this is I know Dennis go through this on their Google reviews. And where they're like, the the dentist is trying to rob us and rip us off. And it hurts them. It like really, really hurts them. And I understand that. And so all you can do is the best that you can do and be transparent, not try to hide it, not try to sweep it under the rug, but just be like, hey, we're not for everybody. um, But this is what we are building. Here's our vision. Here's our core values. And we stand by that. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, it doesn't work. And if it does work, great. And that really attracts the right people. And again, repels the wrong ones.
0: It's kind of hard. I mean, I would think not to take it a little personal sometimes, right? Where you're like, especially they're like, oh, you're such, and you're starting out and you're turning your bad culture to a good culture. How do you know when it's like, all right, this employee was just whack or it's like, man, maybe I am a bad, a bad leader.
1: I need to turn this around. A lot. That's one of our core values is being self-aware. So that's hard. It's really hard to be self-aware like that, to be like, how did I contribute to this? When someone's failing, is it? Is it the leader or is it the person, right? Like that's that's a hard to answer. So then for, as a leader, what my job is, is to come in and try to help them. So how can I support you? How can I help to get you where you want to go? Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, how do I get this person to the next level and to the next level? And, and, and if they don't want to go along for that journey, then it's just like, hey, I don't know if this is the right fit for us. I don't know if this works for us. And I don't know if we're if we're holding you back or... What the deal is, but I'm, I'm sure there's somewhere else better for them. And once I started to realize that by me not pulling the trigger on pushing people out that were not good culture and, and really protecting the people that are good culture, I'm number one, I'm holding back the people that aren't fitting into SMC. Mm-hmm. I'm holding them back. There's something for them, they'll figure it out. Because remember, I started building culture the wrong way at the beginning, it was 100% wrong. So there's always opportunity for people to grow and learn. That's number one. Number two, though, I'm not protecting the good people in my company. I'm not protecting the ones that are working hard and are contributing and are really do care about the customers. And if I don't protect them, then it's just a matter of time until they leave.
0: Interesting, man. How many team players do you have or like employees? We're right around.
1: Well, we have some contractors, too, but we're right around 100 total. I'd say probably about 80 percent employees and around 20 percent contractors somewhere in there but we Jeez. we use contractors, and a lot of times we bring the contractors in like team members, it's just that they work like in Brazil or we have we have team members all over the world, yeah, yeah.
0: Gary, dude, that's a lot, man. How do you i guess kind of keep them all in you know what I mean like where they're like, I feel like I got one on one time with Gary,
1: like oh yeah no I don't I can't have one on t- one time with a hundred people i <laughs> I have one on one time with a couple key leaders in the company, and then they have one on ones with their teams and then they have one on ones with their team so I'm still learning, bro. I'll just tell you that. Like I, sometimes there's days where I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But what I have learned is like, first of all, you can measure culture. So when I'm like, we have a great culture, it's not because I'm just saying that. I have actually Mm -hmm. numbers to back that up. So a couple of things that we do is first of all, we do an ENPS score. That's an employee net promoter score. We measure that every every six months. It's blind. Plus we don't retaliate when people do say mean things and do say things like, Gary's stupid and has no idea what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't. I don't go and post who said this and go hunt them down. I have to, hey, why are they saying this? Why are they giving us this kind of feedback? And so that's number one. And then and and we have a really high score. I think our last score was 84, which for a team our size is means we're amazing. Like it's top, top, top tier. The other thing we do is we do a weekly poll score. Now, I have a unique perspective on this. I believe that you cannot separate home personal life and work life. I don't believe in this idea that like we go to the, the factory. We clock in, I leave my home at home. I do my work, I clock out of the factory, I leave the work at work and I go home. We're a remote company. Like I'm in my studio that's in my bedroom. <laughs> so I'm literally like, my kids are walking by here and my family's here. If I have a bad day at work, it's impacting my kids. If my kids stay up all night tonight because they're sick, you better believe that my work's gonna be impacted by the next day. That is called life, especially for a remote team. So what we do is we measure their, their pulse on a scale of one to five every week in their one-on-ones. And then we get that aggregated by department and we get that aggregated by as a company as a whole. And so we tell the team, five means you're amazing, four means you're really good, three means you're subpar, two means you're terrible, one means you couldn't be worse. And so what I try to explain to the team is, is that we're never all gonna be on our A game at the same time. It's just probably never gonna happen. So there's always three or four people who aren't doing good out of hundred people. Our job is to support you during that time. If you're sick, we want to send you some food. If your kid's sick, we want to try to get you some help. Maybe maybe you need additional support in a different way. If you had a loved one pass away, we want to send flowers. We want to let you know we're there for you. See how we can can help you grieve or help help your... Maybe you're not grieving. Maybe it's with someone in your family that's grieving about it, right? And you're having to help them. You have to be able to communicate about those kind of things if you want to be able to support each other. So I really believe in in having clarity around that and measuring that number. So our average poll score every week is around a 4.5 and that's personal and business life. Like how are we feeling? And sometimes it goes down when it dips down below like 4.3, mm-hmm. down into the fours, I know there's something wrong. Either like when people, when everybody gets sick at the same time, or when um, kid, a lot of kids are sick or things are in the company are wonky. Like I, 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 can fi- I can see it in the number. And then I have to figure out, okay, how do we go support those people who are struggling? Sometimes we can't. There's sometimes things we can't support around, but we always do our best to try to figure that out.
0: Does it ever affect your personal life, like big, big, big time, Gary, where you sometimes maybe throughout this journey, throughout this whole journey, right? From the moment, I guess you started like, I'm going to do this email marketing till right now. Where is the part where maybe your wife was like, all right, well, I don't want to hear about work anymore. Like don't, or was she ever like that? Or I don't know. How, yeah, how did no, that go? So,
1: so no, 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 I can, I can. I'm a tunnel vision, ADHD, entrepreneur to the max, right? So like I could work all day, every day. If, like if I didn't have, I have five kids. If I didn't have kids and wasn't married, I could just work, 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 work all the time. So what I've learned is that if you don't, this is for me, um, <laughs> if I don't schedule it and plan it, then it won't happen because I can tunnel vision anything and just lock into something and just stay there forever, right? So I'm very intentional about scheduling things with my family. So right now, something new, I just started with my wife. We wake up early every morning. We walk three miles together. So that takes about 40 minutes, 40, 45 minutes. And we talk about whatever, you know what I mean? Like it's not, nothing planned. It's just, we talk. Where sometimes before we were doing the walk, sometimes I'd be busy. Sometimes, you know what I mean? And we wouldn't talk and Mm -hmm. that caused problems. So it's just creating that opportunity, right? So with my kids, I take them on stuff that they like to do. So my daughter's like Boba. So we go out and get Boba together, just us. My older kids, I take them and kind of do not like official like business one-on-ones, but I have one-on-ones with them. Like, hey, let's meet every week. Let's sit down and talk. Let's have coffee together. Talk through what are you doing? How are things going? How's your life? What do you need to help with? How can I, same thing, right? <laughs> I, I find that as long as I keep those things in balance, that things go well. And oh, and the other thing, I'm like, I, I go to church. I'm very active. Like, I teach a Sunday school class, those kind of things. And my kids are all involved in that kind of stuff, too. So, we're always like together on Sunday doing stuff like that. I think those things are super important. It'd be really easy for me because I'm so addicted to like keep growing, to drop everything, drop everyone, and just focus on growing in one area. But I know that would probably end in heartache and misery and all those kind of things. So, I've had to really learn how to like schedule everything. Same with working out. Like, right now, I'm on a treadmill. So I I walk five miles every day on my treadmill while I'm in meetings like this, not on podcasts because it's distracting, but just meetings. I have a tonal, I have a home gym, so I don't have to go far. I have all that stuff there so I can just go down there. I try to read every day, pray every day. Like I have all that stuff baked into my schedule and that's what it gets done because I schedule it.
0: Okay. So schedule it in your routine. Dude, you walk three miles and it takes you 40 minutes. That would take me like two hours and 40 minutes. I don't know how you do that in 40 minutes. That's amazing
1: yeah i'm I'm learning I'm learning how to get uh, that's what three miles in in like forty forty five minutes trying to get like right there that's our goal so it's like a twelve and a half minute is that right yeah twelve and a half minute twelve thirteen minute mile so we're trying to trying to get it in there
0: yeah. yeah nice man awesome so any final words or piece of advice that you want to give to our listeners
1: well yes i I do so if you want predictable new patient flow, that's super important you have to know your numbers and if you don't know your numbers, get with somebody that you can you can get the numbers. And then that doesn't mean you don't have an amazing marketing person either. I'll mm-hmm. say that. The example that I gave you earlier where I was doing the same marketing for two offices, the same way and all the statistics marketing lined up, but it was just, there was bottlenecks. So mm-hmm. figure out what your numbers are. And then what we typically see is that we see about a 20% increase of patient flow on roughly the same budget. Is that for everybody? No. But that is that is what we we often see. So if you're like, you know what, I wanna increase my new patient flow. I don't wanna spend a ton more money, but I do wanna have clarity around what I'm actually getting back from my marketing, my return on investment, and what are my actual lifetime value, what is my recare rate, all those things. We'd be happy to talk to you. Um, we're always happy to help. And uh, if not, if we're not the right fit, we'll be able to tell you. Because if we come back and we go, hey, the cost per acquisition is really high in your area, it's really competitive, it, it's saturated, that's just what it's going to be. It might make sense to go in a different direction, and that's okay too. So, um, we're, we're happy to have that conversation. Awesome, Gary. Thank you so
0: much for being with us. It was a pleasure. But before we say goodbye, can you tell our listeners where they can find you?
1: Yeah. So, on social media, I'm the Gary Bird, um, just all spelt normally. And then uh, our website is smcnational.com. Awesome. And I know maybe you, well, a lot of you are wondering, he is not related to Larry Bird. Larry Bird, no. So oh, you can also check out our, our podcast. We have a popular podcast called Dental Marketing Theory. I, I think you, if you're in the dental industry, you'd enjoy it. And then we have another one called Dental Riffs, where a friend of mine who ran a DSO for a while and he was actually part a member or a partner in it sold his position. We just talk about everything in the dental industry, like random stuff that only dental nerds like. So if you're into that kind of stuff, you'd enjoy it. Awesome. So guys,
0: go in the show notes below. Check that out. And Gary, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. And we'll hear from you soon, Bye.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: Gary, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. And guys, thank you all so much for tuning into this episode. I truly appreciate it. If you want to reach out to Gary... Uh, You can find them on the Dental Marketer Society Facebook group. It's going to be one of the first links in the show notes below. Make sure you click on that link. It's a free Facebook group, and you can talk to any of the guests you're listening to or joining on the conversation with other guests and other topics and posts that we're talking about. So go ahead and do that. And as always, if you want to support the podcast, one of the best ways to support is just scroll all the way to the bottom of the show notes. And if you need any of our sponsors' services, please feel free to schedule a free personalized demo or reach out to them by clicking the images or the links. And you also get an exclusive deal if you do decide to go with them. So if you want to check that out, scroll all the way to the very bottom of the show notes. And guys, I always got your back, so check out those exclusive deals. And thank you all so much for tuning in, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.